0: Welcome to the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church podcast, your place for positive, uplifting messages of hope. You can learn more about us at fredericksdachurch.org. Now here's Robert Quintana with his message, The Divine Trifecta, Part 4. Today we're starting a series within a series. You know that the larger topic that we're discussing is the Trinity, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the The Holy Spirit. And so we just finished last week um, studying about God the Father. And I hope it became crystal clear to everyone that God the Father is a God of love. And today we're going to start looking at the life and teachings of Jesus Christ there are some pretty outrageous things that Jesus said. I'd like to read one of those to you. It's found in the book of John, John chapter 14. I'd like for you to turn there with me. I'm reading from the New King James Version, John chapter 14. Jesus said some pretty outrageous things. John chapter 14, chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that's pretty outrageous. Some would say, Jesus, that's pretty arrogant. I mean, who do you think you are? Really? I mean, do you really want to put that claim out there? That you are the only way, you are the only truth, you are the only life. That only through you can someone reach, approach, draw near to the Father. I mean, that's pretty outrageous. How arrogant, Jesus. And you know, there are many people out there that have this feeling. That say, how can Jesus say that? I mean, surely there are many roads that lead to God. And so why would Jesus say here that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can get to the Father except through him? There are many people that feel this way. I'd like to quote from a book um, entitled entitled here, um, Eat, Pray, Love. It was a New York bestseller. Many of you probably read this. The author, Elizabeth Gilbert... Here shares her journey, her spiritual journey, her experience in wanting to draw close to God or spirituality. And so here she says, there's a a part here in her book where she says, culturally, though not theologically, I'm a Christian. She says, culturally, I'm a Christian. Theologically, I'm not sure that I can say I'm a Christian. She says, I was born a Protestant of a white Anglo-Saxon persuasion, and while I do love that great teacher of peace who was called Jesus, and while I do reserve the right to ask myself in certain trying situations what indeed he would do, she says, I can't swallow that one fixed rule of Christianity insisting that Jesus is the only path to God. Strictly speaking, then I cannot um, call myself a Christian. Most of the Christians I know accept my feelings on this with grace and open-mindedness. And she is only expressing a feeling that many people out there feel or a belief that many people out there believe. That there are many ways to God. You can be of, of all kinds of, you know, be a part of any denomination or any religion. It doesn't matter as long as it is true to you, as long as you believe that what you believe is true and that you follow those principles to the best of your ability, then you are fine. And here Jesus says something. That some would say is very arrogant and very outrageous. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How is it? Why is it that Jesus says this? I mean, what nerve, what right does he have to say this? I mean, who does he think he is? Who does Jesus think He is? And and, and where does He get off saying that He is the way, the truth, and the life and that no one gets to the Father except through Him? Who Who do you think you are? Well, let's find out. Let's find out from Scripture, from a biblical perspective, who Jesus really is. I mean, let's find out. Let's read a few passages here together that will show us, that will tell us From a biblical perspective Who Jesus is The first passage I would like for you to turn to Is John chapter 1 verse 1 It was our scripture reading today John chapter 1 verse 1 Who is this Jesus? And why does he have the nerve to say Some of these outrageous things? John chapter 1 verse 1 It says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And see, right there everyone can kind of say, okay, I'm following along. But then John takes a turn here and makes it very interesting. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. All right, now. All of a sudden, this Jesus has a little bit more authority to say whatever he wants to say. Now, all of a sudden, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one gets to the Father except through me. Who do you think you are getting off saying that? Well, according to Scripture and according to the disciples, Jesus was God. Verse 2, it says, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And who is this word? The Bible tells us there in verse 14, and the word became flesh. This Word, which was God, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Who was this Christ? Who was this Jesus called the Christ who lived some 2,000 years ago? Who was this? According to Scripture, He was God. Now, you know, most people cannot deny the fact that there was a man by the name of Jesus Christ who lived some 2,000 years ago and lived around Nazareth and Jerusalem and Israel and, and traveled around Galilee. There is more historical evidence for the person of Jesus Christ than any other historical figure in history. Now, some people say, well, how do you know Jesus is real? How do you know he existed? Well, because there is a lot of evidence, there is a lot of writings, there is a lot of artwork, there is a lot of historical evidence that teaches us that, yes, there was a man by the name of Jesus Christ who lived some 2,000 years ago. There is more evidence for his existence than any historical person in all of history. We don't question the fact whether Hitler really lived. We don't question the fact whether there was really a Martin Luther. We don't really question the fact whether there was a, a George Washington or an Abraham Lincoln. No, no. We know for sure, even though we haven't seen them with our very eyes, that these men really existed. Why? The history books tell us. They testify. They witness. They tell us that these people really existed. And there is more evidence to prove that Jesus really existed than all of these guys put together. And here it says that Jesus was God. What does the Bible tell us? Turn to John chapter 20, verse 28. John chapter 20, verse 28. Here we have another disciple testifying of the divinity of Jesus Christ. John chapter 20, verse 28. By now, Jesus had resurrected. He had left the tomb. He had appeared to most of the disciples except for one. And now here in the upper room, he reveals himself to Thomas. They have an exchange. And this is how Thomas responds to Jesus. In verse 28, it says, And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And so when we read the Bible story, it quickly becomes evident that the disciples believed that Jesus was God. Maybe they didn't believe it at the beginning, but as they spent time with Jesus, and as Jesus revealed himself to them, and then after the resurrection, it became crystal clear to them. It solidified in their mind that this Jesus, who they have spent the last three and a half, maybe five, ten, fifteen years with, that this Jesus is God. That's what the disciples believed. How about the apostles? Let's go to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, the book of Romans. What does Paul say? Romans chapter 9, verse 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 says, Of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. That's pretty clear. So not only did the disciples believe that Jesus was God, but here we have one of his apostles believing that Jesus is God as well. Turn a few pages over to the book of Colossians. Go to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in Him, Colossians 2 verse 9, For in Him, that is Jesus Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And some of your versions will say in in a bodily form. In other words, that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. He is God. And so now when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, and you might retaliate at that, and you might say, who do you think you are? How do you think you can get away saying that? Who do you think you are? Well, he would say, I am God. I am God. The disciples thought he was God. The apostles thought he was God. What does God think of Jesus? Turn to the book of Hebrews. What does God the Father think of Jesus or who Jesus was? Turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8. But to the Son, He says, God the Father says to His Son, Jesus Christ, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness in the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And so here God In reference to Jesus Christ, God, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So who is this Jesus? The disciples believed that Jesus was God. The apostles believed that this Jesus was God. And when we read what God the Father says about God the Son, he refers to him as being God. Who is Jesus? Jesus Is God. To me, there is no more powerful evidence of who Jesus is than an interaction that he had with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. I'd like to share this story with you because I find it fascinating. It's found in the book of John. So let's go back to the book of John, John chapter 8. John chapter 8, starting with verse 48. John chapter 8 verse 48. Here, the disciples believed that Jesus was God. The apostles believed that Jesus was God. God refers to Jesus as being God, but who does Jesus say he is? What does he say about himself? Because I think that's important, don't you think? I mean, what a person says about themselves is pretty important. You know, I remember several years ago when I was living in Atlanta. Um, I went golfing with someone who claimed to be a really good golfer. Like a, an excellent golfer. For those of you that, that don't know much about golf, um, most courses have a score of 72. They call it par 72. And, and what that means is, is that the golf course is saying... The average golfer um, should score around this 72. In other words, they're giving you 72 strokes to finish the the golf course. So let let me kind of break this down for you to understand, okay? So let's say that the first hole is a par 5. What that means is that the golf course is giving you 5 strokes to get the ball from start to finish in 5 strokes. Okay, so if you get it in six strokes, my golfer friends, what is that? That's a bogey. You are one over par. If you get it in seven strokes, what's that? That's a double bogey. That's where I'm at. That's where my golf game has just been for the last 20 years. I bogey, double bogey. If I'm lucky, I might get a, a par every once in a while. All right. If you get three over par, that's a triple bogey, quadruple bogey. That's not good. Okay. But if you're good enough to make it in four shots, that is called a a birdie. That's one under par. That means that they gave you five strokes to make it, and you made it in four. And if you're really good or get lucky and make it in three, that's called in eagle. That means you're two under par. So let me just kind of play out this scenario so that you understand my conversation with this gentleman, okay? So let's say that on the first par, on the first hole, a par five, you get an eagle. That's two under par. That means you're going into the second hole two under. And then if the next hole is a par four, but you get a six. A double bogey. Now going into the third hole, you are where? You're even. Because you got two under par the first one. But on the second hole, you got two over par. Now you're going even. All right? So, I shoot in the mid-90s. Mid to low 90s. That means on a good day, I will shoot about 18... 20, maybe 22 over par. Now, these professional golfers, you know, they're usually, you know, shooting right at par or under par. If someone says they're a scratch golfer, that means they're like hitting 72 consistently, right? So when someone says to me, you know, I shoot in the 80s or I shoot in the the 70s, I think to myself, man. They're pretty good if they're shooting consistently in the 70s. If someone says, oh, I shoot over 100, I'm in the 120s, then I'm like, okay, let's put some money up. No, no, I'm just joking. I'm just, <laughs> just joking. Just joking. So anyways, I get to talking to this guy, and he says, man, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty decent. I said, so what do you shoot? He says, oh, I usually shoot in the mid to high 70s. And I'm thinking, man, that's quite a claim there. And I'm thinking to myself, you're a really good golfer. And I say to him, I'm not that good. I'm in the mid-90s, so, you know, you'll, you, you give me some pointers along the way. I'm, you know, I'm willing to learn. Here we are at the first tee box, setting up, getting ready to start our game. And he puts his golf ball down on the tee there. And he goes through his little routine of setting up and he addresses the ball. And he looks like he knows what he's doing. And all of a sudden, he takes back a swing and he swings forward as hard as he can. And he tops the ball. And the ball goes just a few feet in front of him. And I think to myself, well, well, wait a second. I'm thinking to myself, I'm not saying this. I'm thinking to myself... I'm pretty sure he told me he's a, you know, a, a hits in the 70s. Someone who hits in the 70s doesn't shank it that bad. But I'm thinking to myself, maybe he's nervous. It's his first time out with the pastor. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, give him another chance and I'm like, oh, you know, take a mulligan, just tee it up again. We'll just forget about that, you know, whatever and he tees it up again. And he goes through his routine, and this second time around, he hits it, and he hits it hard and long, except that instead of going straight where he needs to go, the thing takes off at like a 50-degree angle into the woods, and he loses the ball altogether, and by now I'm thinking to myself, I don't think he realizes what shooting in the 70s is really all about because if he really shoots in the 70s, he wouldn't be hitting the ball this time. And for the rest of the day, it was just atrocious. I mean, it was just, we were all over the place looking for his ball, making excuses, my knee, my shoulder. I've never played like this before. And, and I just, I, you know, oh, it's okay, you know, we're having a good time. And I'm like, woo. <laughs> you see, what a person says about themselves really sets them up for either success or failure. And that's why sometimes when someone says to me, you know, can you play foosball? Oh, yeah, I'm I'm okay. I'm I'm not very good or anything because I would rather, you know, set the, the bar low. But what we're about to read is Jesus setting the bar high. What we're about to read is Jesus saying, I am God. And once you make a claim like that, you really can't take it back. Once you make a claim like that, it is either true or you are just outright crazy. You're just lying to yourself. And here we've already read that the disciples thought he was God. The apostles thought that he was God. We see God referring to Jesus as being God. Now I want to look at what Jesus says about himself. Because this is important. It is important in that he is setting himself up for either great success or great failure. He is either setting himself to be indeed Who he says he is, or he is setting himself to be an outright liar, a lunatic, a crazy man. This is what he says here in John chapter 8, starting with verse 48. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Making the implication there that by disrespecting me, you are disrespecting my father. By dishonoring me, you are dishonoring my father. Verse 50, and I do not seek my own glory, he says. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. <laughs> it's getting interesting, isn't it? I mean, here you have Jesus, who we know as our, our, our understanding that Jesus, being God, put his divinity aside to come live as a man. With no advantage over you or I. No, he put aside his divinity to come live as a man for the purpose of dying for your sins and for my sins. For coming to show us an example of what it means to rely on God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. He came to be an example And to pay for the sins in our life. Remember, it had been said, God, you're unjust. God, no one can keep your laws. God, it is impossible to follow you. And now here we have God who has put aside his divinity to come live as a man. And the Bible tells us that in all he was tempted as we were. In other words, he went through every temptation known to man. And thank God that Jesus did not fall. Thank God that he was obedient to God unto death. Thank God that he obeyed God's principles and relied on God every step of the way. Not only providing for us an example, but for, but also providing for us The sacrifice needed to redeem us back to God. And so here he's trying to get them to understand that, yes, I am here as a man and I give glory to God. Yes, I am here as a man and I testify of the one in heaven who is righteous. But make no mistake about it, that if you hear my words, you will not see death. Obviously referring to eternal death In verse 52 Then the Jews said to him How now we know that you have a demon Abraham is dead And the prophets And you say If anyone keeps my word He shall never taste death Are you greater than our father Abraham Who is dead And the prophets are dead Who do you Who do you make yourself out to be I mean, who do you think you are? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Who do you think you are? The Jews here are the same response. I mean, who, who do you make out yourself out to be? I mean, really, who do you think you are saying these things? And here it says in verse 54, Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do not, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And here we have Jesus trying to lead these religious leaders, trying to lead these Jews into an understanding that I am God. I am God made flesh. I am God who has come to redeem you of your sins and to live the perfect life that you are unable to live, to be ransomed, to be that sacrifice for you. And he's trying to lead them, to try and guide them so that they can understand, so that they can get to that point on their own. You know that it's always better when someone learns something on their own or when they reach a the conclusion on their own. You know, it's always better, right? I mean, for those of you that are parents, you may tell your children a hundred times, don't do this, don't do that, this is the way, this is what you should do. But there are some kids, there are some children that they just have to learn on their own. And then once they experience it, they come back and they say, man, you were right. You were I should have obeyed, I should have followed, you were absolutely right. But now I know, and they become better Christians than their parents. I mean, sometimes when you come to a conclusion on your own, you know, it it solidifies it. It um, crystallizes it in your heart and in your understanding. And so he's trying to lead them to that point where they get it. But they're being stubborn. And they're not understanding. Or they're refusing to accept what Jesus is saying to them. And in verse 57, Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? I mean, up until that point, they could have said and taken him for his word and said, You saw Abraham. You were there. Are you saying that you are God? And that if they were able to put two and two together and put the pieces together from Old Testament prophecy they would Have been able to see And have known that this person That was right before them Was God in the flesh But they were not Getting it they were refusing To accept and in verse 58 Jesus said to them And he just says to them plainly He says more most assuredly I say to you Before Abraham was I I am. Now some of your versions will have I am capitalized. And that's important because of the connection that is made here with the Old Testament. And I'm going to take you to the Old Testament in just a second so that you can see the importance of what Jesus just said here. But here he looks at them and he says, before Abraham was, you need to understand that I am. Am. Now we get a glimpse of what Jesus is saying here by the way they responded. It says here in verse 59, Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the middle of them, and so passed by. They were so infuriated. They were so upset they could not believe that Jesus had just said, I am. And they picked up stones. And I, if I was there, like if I picture myself there, I envision them just going crazy, you know, ripping their robes and going for rocks. And can you believe this? Blasphemy, blasphemy. And as they're getting ready to stone him in the chaos, they look around and Jesus had just slipped on through. He'd gone on because his time, was not yet. And so he slips out. But we get a glimpse. Of what Jesus says here. By the way they responded. This isn't the only time. That the Pharisees. And the religious leaders responded. This way. And if you remember. Part of the accusation. Given towards Jesus. There towards the end. Which led to his crucifixion. Was that he was a blasphemer. That he was blaspheming. In other words, he was claiming to be God. He was claiming to be king, ruler, and they did not like that. And as a result of that, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to get him out of the way. Blasphemy. How can you say that you are God or how can you say that you are equal with God? I'd like for us to now go all the way back to the book of Exodus because I want to tie This Old Testament passage to this New Testament passage that we just read there in John. Let's go all the way to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Another fascinating, awesome story. Miraculous story. If you have time to read this this afternoon, I would encourage you to do so. Jesus says to the Pharisees, Before Abraham was... I am. What is the significance of that? Exodus chapter 3, if you have headings on your Bible, it will say Moses at the burning bush. Here, Moses is tending his flock and he stumbles upon this burning bush. And I'd like for you uh, to read with me verse 1 through 6. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and, and he led the flock to, a, to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the middle of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw... That he turned aside to look. God called to him from the middle of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Okay, now who is talking to Moses? God. It's pretty clear, is it not? God is the one speaking to Moses. And he says, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Can you imagine if that happened to you today? No, I mean really. If I saw a burning bush, I would probably run to get some water to put it out. And then I throw some water on, it's not going out. And I'm like, why isn't this bush going out? And I hear something from the bush go, Robert, Robert. (laughs) I'm not sure that I would react by going, here am I. times are different it's a good thing that God communicates to us in a variety of ways he communicates to us in a way that we understand he communicates to us in a way that isn't going to scare us off he communicates to us through the word through friends through family through music he communicates through the study through prayer God is good and here he communicates to Moses and he says, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. And so now Moses and God enter into a conversation. And God is wanting Moses to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses says, God, I'm not sure I'm up for it. I'm not sure I'm up for the task. And let me just remind you of this simple fact, that if God calls you to carry out his purpose, can I just remind you that he will equip you and he will be with you and he will give you the strength and the wisdom, and the talents, and the resources for you to be able to carry out the will that he is placing on your life. Don't ever think I can't. Don't ever think I'm incapable. Don't ever think I'm not good enough, or I don't know enough. If God is calling you, he will equip you. I remember hearing this a long, long time ago, and it really stuck with me because it really speaks to me. And that is this, that God does not call the qualified. He does not call the qualified. He qualifies the call. In other words, he qualifies those who he calls. And so here Moses is saying, God, I'm not sure I'm the man for the job. I'm not sure I can do this. But God says, I will be with you. I will empower you. I will give you everything that you need in order to carry out my will for the people. And so this is the conversation that's going on. We'll pick it up in verse 11. It says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Isn't it interesting? The evidence for it being God is after the fact. Most of us are always like, no, no, God. I want to know before I dive into this, before I go into this, I want to know that it's really you who's telling me this. And God says, no, no, I'm going to give you a sign that this is me. After you do it, then I will reveal myself to you and to the people on this mountain as you worship. After you do it. Interesting, huh? Maybe there are some of us here that can apply that to our lives. Maybe we've been holding back from doing something because we want some kind of revelation or we want some kind of sign that this is really what God wants me to do. Maybe God is waiting for you to actually do it, to step out before he shows you and says, ah, you see, I was in the middle of it. I was in control. I was leading all the way. And so he says here in verse 13, Then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? When they ask me, who is it that told you to come and to do all of these things? Who do I say sent me? And here it is, verse 14. And God said to Moses, I am Who I am, and he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Do you realize what the Torah, the Pentateuch, what these first five books of Scripture meant to the Jewish people in Jesus' time? I mean, I mean, do you realize? I mean that the sun rose and set. On these first five books. This was everything to them. The laws contained in these five books. It was everything to them. They knew it inside and out. They understood it probably better than anyone here on an intellectual basis. Maybe not on a spiritual sense. But they understood it letter for letter, word for word. And they understood that when Jesus said to them, I am. They understood that this man is claiming to be the God of the Old Testament. At least the God who spoke to Moses at the burning bush. And this is why they went crazy. This is why they looked for stones to kill him. Blasphemy. Who do you think you are? Jesus says, I am God. I'd like to close by reading to you a passage from mere Christianity. It is a wonderful book. It is a book that I will recommend to anyone who is an agnostic or atheist, or maybe you're having a hard time understanding who Jesus is or what Christianity is. I recommend this book, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. In this book, he says this. He says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said, would not be a great moral teacher. In other words, th- th- this man, Jesus, he said some pretty outrageous things. And because of what he said about himself, you cannot just say he is some, just a good guy, he's a great moral teacher, you know, he just lived a good life, he's just one of many prophets. C.S. Lewis says, uh-uh. You cannot say that. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God. Or else a madman or something worse. You cannot shut him up. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. And so we have a choice. We can either accept that Jesus Christ was a lunatic, a madman, a crazy man. I remember seeing a documentary about a man down in Florida who claims to be Jesus. When I saw that documentary, I walked away thinking, that guy's crazy. I mean, he's a lunatic. I mean, really How how can he claim to be Jesus? How can he claim to be God? He's, He's crazy. Or you can accept what the disciples, what the prophets, what God says about Jesus. You can accept what Jesus says about himself. And you can fall at his feet and worship him because Jesus is God. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church would love to help you along the way. We are a family-oriented, grace-filled church serving the Frederick, Maryland area. You can learn more about us at fredericksdachurch.org. For more podcasts, click the sermon audio link.